Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, welcome into Cleveland Browns Daily. And finally, we are nearing the start of the 2022 Browns season this Friday. Rookies, quarterbacks, and injured veterans will report here to the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea for the start of training camp. And then everybody else will be coming in the following Tuesday. So we are less than 10 days away from really getting this thing going here at Berea and for the Browns and still questions exist around this football team and they are centered obviously on the quarterback Deshaun Watson so today on this program we're going to get you the very latest that we are hearing about Sue Robinson the judge in this case when she may make her ruling about Deshaun Watson Charles Robinson with some reporting today we will get to that Uh, we'll also go through the open championship I think the greatest tournament in golf and it was an unbelievable Sunday done by what 130 incredible it's just it's basically the perfect golf event as far as I'm concerned we'll talk about that we're going to go around the league coming up at the bottom of this hour we'll be joined by Brown's senior staff writer Anthony Poizal to talk about the wide receiver room and we'll do a little wide receiver position preview uh, and then in hour number two that's right get ready 216-578-0850 at 2 o'clock. We are going to take your phone call. So that's going to be fun. We'll go ahead and look at a bizarre ranking of the 32 rosters in the NFL from CBS Sports. They've had a lot of just strange lists lately. We will continue that. We'll take a look at our 10 most intriguing teams of 2022 with a look at the Steelers. Brooke Pryor, the ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter, will join us at 2.30. So we've got a loaded show for you here today. The rains came in this morning. They have cleared now, and we are getting ready, as I said, for the week when some of the Browns players and obviously the quarterback position, that will be the one that we're looking at more than any That is where we're going to find out, hopefully by this week or next week, what will happen. And Gibbe, here's what Charles Robinson had to say today, uh, just about an hour ago. He tweeted this out an hour and a half ago, 11.34 a.m. And I quote, sources in the Watson case believe arbitrator Sue Robinson's decision could bump up against or even overlap with the first few days of Brown's camp, which would mean sometime late next week. One opinion offered on the timeline is that she may be taking her time to give the league and Watson another shot at settling. And Charles Robinson goes on to say, part of an independent arbitrator's job is to often operate on their own timeline and be thorough. She wants to remind them of precedent that she could be established in the process and allow them to reflect and potentially negotiate a deal in the 11th hour. She has that right. He finally adds another note. If Watson ends up incurring the full year suspension, the NFL is seeking either from the arbitrator or a league appeal of Robinson's decision. I am told his camp and the NFLPA have already made the decision to file a lawsuit against the league in federal court. Now, this is stuff that I think was all known that this would be the tack that the NFLPA would take in the event of something like that. Uh, so I, I'm surprised that it's coming out now. However, there are a lot of people who are speculating that are around the league that the NFL is very concerned that the suspension that will be handed down by Robinson will be lenient if there is a suspension at all, that it won't be many games, and that there is a potential that this thing could be settled before she ever does 
make a ruling. But as far as the timeline goes, it sounds like if it is her ruling per Charles Robinson, that that will come next week at the earliest and perhaps late next week once the Browns have already started camp. It's not ideal. It's not, but it it is what it is. This is the situation we're in, and we await – we await the white smoke. It's not. It's not that it's. I. It's not ideal. As long as it comes, you know. I think in the month of July, it is not going to have a massive impact on the Cleveland Browns. That is this because week or next. <laughs> even if her decision were to happen late, it's there wasn't a decision, and he was able to participate. So it's not like it would affect his ability to participate in camp. And there wouldn't even if he is suspended, he could participate in camp. So it really doesn't change anything. It would be a little bit, you know, you would maybe want to know, okay, do are we starting Jacoby Brissett week one or are we starting Deshaun Watson week one? Yeah, I imagine, though, they're planning for both of those things simultaneously. And the fact is they've got to get both these guys ready. Watson hasn't played in a year. Uh, I think that, you know, there is – I do think we're going to find out sooner rather than later. I have no idea. Again, nobody has any idea. I think there's a ton of speculation out there, but uh, hopefully that speculation will end soon so that we can just kind of move forward and say, okay, here's what we're dealing with, and here's how we're going to proceed as the Cleveland Browns. And so hopefully we're going to get that get that, uh, get that, that taken care of. So that's kind of the big news as it relates to the Browns, and real, quite frankly, as it relates to the NFL. There's really nothing else going on around the league. A couple of teams, I want to say the Raiders and somebody else, had their rookies report. Who's played in the Hall of Fame game? That's who it would have been. Raiders and Jaguars? I know it's the Raiders. Let's see, 2022 Hall of Fame game. I feel like that's right. Sounded good. It feels great. I like it. It is because isn't is it isn't it because of Raiders Baselli? Jags? Yeah, you're right. So those okay. would be the teams. Good night, Adam, baby, give a start the week off hot. That wow. would be those would be the teams that I would report today. They're rookies, so they get a little bit of a head start because they're playing in that first preseason game there. Um, so we also have some news here. We've got a Stevie Connor Lawrence. Welcome to the squad, Connor with a C or New Connor, like when when Rob. You did pull Rob out a New in. Connor today, which you, I did not see coming. Yeah, you liked that. People like that. It was a hit. It was a hit for New Connor. We have Connor with a K now, Connor with a C. A lot of Connor confusion, but I think we just go with New Connor. It's very safe, uh, and so yeah, he's he's with us now. So way to go, Gibby. You vetted millions and millions of applicants, and and now we've got Connor. So we we exciting. are excited to have him on board, and uh, Stevie working on some new projects. What are those? Will, will allow us to do, you know, more work for you, I'm sure. You know how that goes. I do. I yeah. do. Well aware. I, yeah. I mean, you never know. Seven days a week, never enough. Zagura and friends, all of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, uh, no, uh, we're excited to have Connor on board and big addition here as we get ready for training camp. Let's go. So welcome aboard, Connor. Looking forward to working with you. It's going to be awesome. And we're getting ready, as I said, for this season. Let's go. And we needed that. And now we're going to have, you know, Stevie, we'll have some shouting out, you know, and and hopefully get some big time things done there, which will be good. All right. Let's talk real quickly about just recap of the weekend. Again, there's not anything going on, guys. We're going to give you a lot of good Browns content. We'll take your calls. What are your training camp questions that you've got on your mind? We're going to talk about the Steelers as well. 
We'll dive deep in this wide receiver room. We've got the written preview at clevelandbrowns.com. We've got my two-minute drill video preview up on clevelands.com, the Browns mobile app, and, of course, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Browns. So you can get that. Don't forget to check out the Browns breakdowns. We've got me and Chad O'Shea, the receiver coach, looking at David Bell, as well as with Mike Woods, which was, I thought, very interesting. I think we all know what we're getting at David Bell, a stud. Mike Woods, a guy I didn't know a lot about coming out of Oklahoma, watching that tape. Got me pretty excited and honestly had a pretty good showing at minicamp. So those are also at our YouTube.com slash Browns, our Browns YouTube channel uh, as well. All right. Weekend. How was your weekend? Well, hold on. Like Friday, you were on assignment. I was. Did did, did it get in? Did you get it in? Got in. Was able to get out there. It It was raining profusely. And, you know, one of the fun things to do when you're so I flew into Chicago. I was meeting up with Beatbox, who you guys have heard about many, many times, and the great Kenny Classman. That's who that Sione Taki Taki jersey that was signed to Kenny Kenny. Uh, that's who that was for, uh, which I forgot to bring with me. Shut up. Laid it out on my island so that I would grab it in the morning. How? How? Unbelievable. He was How like, did you? Because <laughs> I, I was like, dude, I'm not kidding. I, I forgot the jersey. He's like, you're joking, which I, I should have been joking. I was not. Unbelievable. Huge oversight. Ridiculous. I mean, what? I literally Were took you running it late? and laid it out. That was early in the morning. Eh? I was eh? thrown off because it didn't. I oh, didn't. Boy. So all I brought was my golf bag, and I was able to throw in a couple clothes to go out that night, and that's all I needed, and then a T-shirt to put on to fly home the next day. So I was there in Friday, out Saturday, 24 hours basically, and I didn't put in the golf bag. But I didn't have, like, another carry. I should have just thrown it in my backpack. Idiot. Totally forgot. So now I have to mail it to him. So, But that's fine, I, which I will do. That is sad, though. Like, maybe he would have worn it out Friday night. He was going to. <laughs> the least shocking thing ever. Yeah. Totally blew it. Wait, so Beatbox came in for this, too? Beatbox lives in Chicago. I thought the other guy did. Both of them do. Oh. I was the only non-Chicagoan. So fly in, and what? it apparently hadn't rained in Chicago in, like, four weeks Course. Every day was perfect. I get in, it's raining. And, you know, you're, I'm watching the radar. I got all my different apps. And it's saying, oh, we're going to be good by, like, 2 o'clock. And then every every five minutes you're looking at it's not getting better. It's pouring rain. At one point we're thinking, like, are we going to golf? And I was like, we're here. What? Like, yeah, we're going to golf. Let's try to do it. So we go out there, and we're at um, Olympia Fields is, is the club. Oh, is that, that yeah, where you kind of Very prestigious. Hosted the 2003 U.S. Open, which was won by Jim Furyk. Uh, it's the host of home of the BMW championship now, 2015 U.S. Amateur, which was won by Bryson DeChambeau. It is awesome. Awesome. They got two courses there. The North course is the tournament course. You can, you know, I was walking around with Kenny and he had worked the event the last time the BMW. He's like, oh, and here's where Tiger hit it from. And for example, John Daly, I was telling you, played 18, his favorite 18 holes in one day in the country. And number 14 at Olympia Fields was on that list, which is just an insane par four from the tour tees is like 500 yards tee off a cliff down into like a ravine that it's straight, but there's water all the way, right? Trees all the way left and then water at the end of the fairway. And then a steep cliff that is totally just natural up to the green. It's like 500 yards. Insane. Perfect. There were some eight balls on that hole. There were some awesome holes. Awesome course. So we go out there and on the first hole, we go tee off the guy who's the starter is like, are you guys nuts? Is it raining still pouring, pouring, Kenny was very nice. He wanted me to have a piece of uh, uh, Olympia Fields gear, so he got me uh, a rain jacket. I didn't have a rain jacket. I wasn't even, like, idiot. So get that. It's Boy, nice. You really, you really screwed the pooch. My here rain gloves this. that I hadn't used in forever because what I don't, I'm not golfing in the rain typically. Yeah, were like molded up, so I had to get rid of those. Get new rain gloves. 
So we go out there, the first hole is a par five, uh, and it is like pouring, part it. I was playing very, very well. And then after about like the fourth hole, it just stopped raining. And it didn't rain until maybe we got to like 17, and then it was just a light drizzle. But it wasn't a factor at all. And then the second we got out of there, pouring again. So it was perfect. So we were able to get the 18 holes in. This course, folks, is an absolute gem. It's beautiful. Everything's in front of you, but it's just hard. It's just a hard golf course. We played the whites, which are the member tees, par 70, 6,700 yards from the whites, par 70. Uh, the rating, which is what a scratch should shoot, yeah. was like 73.4. The slope was in the 140s from the whites. The tour tees that they play, that these guys play, are is like 7,700 yards, par 70. No way. That's how good they are. And the guy who won it the last time, Kenny was telling me, at the BMW was, uh, I think, like four under for the, for the week. It is tough. So 18, I wanted to hit one shot from, like, the tour tees because it would be fun. 18's a par four. Dry, you have to bomb your drive out there from the back. The water's not even reachable. But there's water up on the right and up to a little green and whatever. It's just a long hole. It's 520, I think, from the tour tees. Par four. Dumb. I hit a bomb. Not for you. And I had – and it, remember, it was wet a little bit. But I thought I had a really good drive. It was a little into the wind, and I had about 230 left. So it was wow. driver hybrid. Yeah. From the whites where we were playing, I hit driver gap wedge. <laughs> like, that's the difference. That's a big difference. Oh, my God. But that's how long this course was. It was awesome. So we had a great time there. And then we went out to one of my favorite restaurants in, um, in Chicago. Went out to Hugo's Frog Bar. Just a delight, and Kenny, a, a, a tremendous host, and then uh, and then that was it. Then we just got went home with a beatbox, got to hang with his kids in the morning, played a little Rory McIlroy golf, which was a treat. Good and, timing. And then yeah, watched obviously watched the golf, and uh, and then I flew home Saturday, so it was just in in and out. It was great. Couldn't have been a better day. It was awesome. Uh, that place, the Olympic Fields, like it, it, is Kenny a member? Yeah, Kenny's a baller. Yeah, clearly it was awesome it was one of my favorite golfing experiences because it of course was just so good the clubhouse is so good the locker room is cool supposedly it's the it's a twenty-two thousand square foot locker room it's the biggest locker room in the country supposedly that was one of the facts they were throwing okay. at me amongst others just just very cool and then obviously great hanging out great meal just you know so we got a little you know rained on what that whatnot but other than that it was it was perfect and I got a cool hat from there. So the hat that I got in Colorado, those G4 hats, they're making them. I guess all the clubs have them now. And so it's just white. It just says O-L-Y in the big block letters and then has their logo on the side. Sweet hat. So I'm pumped. So I got some good gear. It's great. Great time. Great time. Well done. Yeah. Well done. That course, though, was – and even though it was raining and because it hadn't rained for so long, it was still – Were you cart path only or were you – No. Yeah, exactly. And there wasn't water anywhere. You know, maybe like he said, the greens would have been a little faster, obviously, and the um, fairways would have been a lot faster. But it, it still was rolling, and it was it was awesome. I had a couple of birds on the par threes, both par threes on the back. One was like a wedge, and one was an eight iron. But the one that I hit a wedge on, I think, would have been like one ninety five for the pros, and it was only like one forty for us. 145 and then the other one which was downhill is 230 for the pros it was like 170 for me and i hit on both part threes hit about a foot little kick-ins so it was great 
had a, had a tremendous What'd time. You, what did you shoot? What 72. Was... And the, the caddy was pretty fired up. He's like, that's for first time out of here. He's like, that was. And the weather conditions. That was pretty good, yeah. And, but, I mean, it was brutal. I forged, I just I hit the ball w- well, you know. It was cool place. Just the prestige and the history. And, you know, he'd, Kenny, like I said, had been there. He'd be like, yeah, put a ball right here. This is where Tiger tried to hit hit a, like, cut driver off the deck on some par five. And so I'm just like, this is nuts. Super but cool. That's how it goes. Yeah. And then he showed me on that par five daily hit it so far right. So that crazy par four I was talking about, the whole four is a par five. And the right side where there's the water and the trees, that's kind of the right side of both holes because they go out and back. And he hit it so far right that he was down on that other fairway and then had to hit it blind back up over a mountain of trees. I don't know how. And then supposedly hit it to like five feet and made an eagle on the par five, which seems impossible. But these are some of the stories. So it was very cool. John awesome Daly, time. Baby. And then Sunday morning to come back and to get back and watch the Open. The best. Which we'll get into. We'll get into that. All right. We'll get into that right after this. Uh, we've got, like I said, a lot more coming up. Absolutely. One third, bottom of this hour, wide receiver preview. Two o'clock, your calls. What's on your mind with this football team you wrong get ready there? for training camp? Oh, baby, off and running here on a Monday, Cleveland Browns Daily. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Buying or selling a home with Howard Hanna Real Estate Services is always a winning strategy. If you plan to make a move this season, we've got you covered. Because at Howard Hanna, every day is game day. Visit howardhanna.com slash gobrowns today. All right, Gibbe, let's talk a little bit about the Open Championship at St. Andrews. Just the coolest, pretty much the coolest place there is. The most unbelievable environment. The crowd was great. The golf was great. Insane. Totally sensational. Probably the most riveting back nine I've seen in a while just because it was Cam Smith, what he did, six birdies. He goes out and shoots a 30 on the back nine, a 30. I think he had six one putts on the back nine, and Rory didn't have a one putt all day. Could not, could not get the ball to drop all day. And they were all good putts. I was actually joking with – a couple of my buddies said sometimes I'll have rounds like that where I hit a bunch of greens and then every putt is just a tap in par, but he didn't make anything. And he didn't. He didn't make anything. And he had a lot of really good putts. Cam Smith, though, unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. And and my dad was like, oh, yeah, it's because he kept hitting him close. Most of those putts were between 15 and 25 feet. Yeah. 12 to 18. And, and Rory's didn't fall. His did. He made everything. Yes. He shot a 30 on the back nine of the Open Championship. So a 30. I joined, I think I turned it on finally as as Cam was on like the ninth hole and okay. starting. And then I felt like it just went in the blink of an eye. You mentioned it in the first segment. It was done at like one thirty. So but fast. It, they were flying. like uh, every, But every single one of the guys in the final three or four groups we're just throwing darts up there. And I'm like, 20 under, like, th- there are guys at 15 under. In in any other year, they're probably winning this. Yeah, it's just that course doesn't have a lot of defenses other than the greens for, you know, 
the players who can hit it the way they can and some of the crazy bunkers. And Hovland had a rough day. He was the only guy that really had a rough day. I thought Cam Young, the American, is probably, I'm sure Rory couldn't sleep last night, but I bet Cam Young can't sleep. That three-putt on one was terrible. He missed, what, four putts inside of like five feet? How about the one on 17 that literally was a turn away from going in? Yeah, he makes that. He's in because his eagle on 18 was outrageous. And for Cam Smith to make the putt after that, it was funny. So I was texting with with the kid and Jim at Reams, and um, you just knew – once he took the lead and Smith took the lead at 19 on, on hole 14, I want to say. He birdied, I think, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, he birdied five in a row at that point. Yes. It so, was four, 13, yeah, 10 through 14. 14. So 14 was the par five. Yep. And you're thinking, all right, Rory's going to birdie the par five for yep. sure. And so then he's going to get to, he'll be at 19 too. And then now, then it's on for the last, you know, three holes or four holes, 15, 16, 17, 18. And he left it out. He left it out right, and then he putted it up to like 10 feet and then missed. And Cameron Smith made all of those all days, and he just missed it. It looked good. He just missed it. So I was saying he's going to have to birdie one of these holes, 16 or 17, because Cam Smith's birdieing 18. Like, I just felt 100% he was going to birdie 18. And then on 16, he hits it pretty good. Oh, no, 16 was when he hit the bomb to like 70 yards and, and then he hit it too far. Shot. He yeah. hit too, like shot too far. And then 17's hard, but let's talk about Cam Smith's par on 17. What a save. He puts it around the bunker to 12, 14 feet, knows he's got to make it, and then Drano bottoms. Like, Which, nothing. And, like, and, it was nothing. And, and by the way, like, you are the opposing player in – Yeah, he's the visitor. Like, like, everybody you are, wanted Rory. You are the visitor because yeah. the, everybody behind you is losing their mind because Rory is just making a charge and still he just can't get over the hump. So it it obviously was Cam Smith went out and he won the Open. You can't say anything else than that. Rory didn't do enough. That's fine. That's golf sometimes. Rory played tee to green. I think he hit all 18 greens in regulation, 36 putts, and he made, and he was two under. Wasn't enough. All the other, everybody else up there was at 68 or 66 or 67, and that would have won it for him. I feel so badly for him, but Cam Smith, you like Rory didn't choke. Hovland choked out there. Hovland played a bad round. Rory did not. Rory played a good round. Sometimes the putts don't drop. That's what's so crazy about golf is a putt that goes and misses by an inch. It's another shot. That one-inch shot counts, but he was driving the ball well. He had clutch drives on 16, 17. I mean, every time he needed a good shot, he did. He just couldn't hit the irons close enough, but he couldn't make any putts. And it was crazy, but Cam Smith to shoot a 30 Two rounds of 64 in the open. Absolutely bonkers. Awesome tournament. I loved every second of it. It's perfect. It's on right when you get up. It just looks cool. The courses look cool. That is a magical place. It I got was, my wife hooked on it. She was like, the the the, the, the scenery alone is worth watching. She oh, goes, yeah. crazy. I'm like, and they're playing golf. And it's Here such different golf. Like, yeah, the putt from the road. She's like, wait. That's a why is he using a putter? And I'm like, you'll what just watch. Unbelievable shot by Spieth. But like you go back to number five, which is the first par five, I want to say. And Rory had, I think, two hundred and fifty-eight yards to the pin, but it was like one seventy-eight to the front of the green and then eighty-one to the hole. The the hole was eighty-one yards cut off the front of the green. That's how big the green is at five and thirteen. 
And so he, you're saying he's 268, but he's trying to hit 190. Yards. He was hitting like a, a, a seven iron downwind. And it rolled 60 yards on the green. And he almost had an eagle right there. He should have had eagle. He had a two-putt birdie. That was his first two-putt birdie. That place is so cool. I highly recommend anybody who's listening, if you are a golf fan at all, 100% go out there. You've got to play it. You've got to play it at some point in your life. You have to do it. It is absolutely I mean, you had the magical. baller statement on Thursday when you walked in, and I was like, oh, so-and-so, they're just, they just sit up and down, save par on 17. He goes, I don't know about that position because I birdied that hole. I didn't. No, I birdied 18. Yeah, birdied 17, birdied no big deal. Not from those tees, obviously, but it really was just absolutely – it's the coolest place. It is magical. And it was just one big shot after another. Like, very rarely were any of those final groups in trouble. No, they if were unbelievable. Cam Smith was unreal. <laughs> and it's funny, when I played there the last time, when I did get the, the back-to-back birds to walk off, we were playing – it was me, my cousin Danny, and we were playing with a guy from Australia – actually, who was there with his wife, who was a beast. He was like a one or a two. And between the three of us, one of us birdied every hole on the back nine because we were playing. It was like a magical day. It was just insane. It was out of the body. It was spiritual. But I, I texted my cousin, like, we were with an Australian now. He won one right there. Just nuts. And his look is great when he says, I can't, I can't wait to find out how many beers can fit in this thing. It was great. I, I felt bad for Rory, obviously. But, I mean, when a guy goes out there, and makes everything. What are you gonna do? Like, there's nothing you can do. I, I don't Shot know what thirty. The, <clears throat> I don't know what the money discrepancy was, but him going from First second to third. to third. Yeah, that guy eagled. Because well, the part of the tough part was if you're playing for money, right? If he's like that was all oh. he wanted to win, he had to try to make that chip. He would have hit that chip differently if he was just trying to get it close and leave himself a makeable putt. But just wild, and I think it was so cool. It was. So Cameron Smith made two point five million for the win. Okay, one point four five five for Young, McElroy nine hundred thirty three thousand. So half a mil. He does. That's a. It's me. Correct. It's and supposedly Cam Smith's about to go to the Live Tour on a ninety mil guarantee. I think he should be asking for more. The guy just won the was second at the PGA and just won the Open. He's going to Live. Supposedly. Wow. That's the rumor. And David Faraday as well, and maybe Charles Barkley. By the way, it was great to hear Faraday. Oh, he's unbelievable. Back on. I'm like, why can we not get this guy on regular golf he every week? Be. He should be at Augusta. He, he just makes everything major. sound cool. It all sounds cooler when, yeah, it just sounds cool. He's great. I don't know. I just thought it was a great, uh, I thought it was a great weekend of golf. Like, the, the movement, you know, just every – you knew you had to keep performing because everyone was coming. Like yeah. if, if any of those guys in the top had faltered, there were ten guys at twelve or thirteen that oh. were right there that would have just made it insane. Oh yeah, it was awesome. It really yeah. it was it was incredible. And by the way, I've got to tip my hat. Rory McIlroy had to be inside, just gutted, and there was probably. He wanted to get out of there. He certainly didn't want to do an interview. He does an interview, and the the uh, the inter the woman interviewing him starts her question with, "Now you haven't won a major since 2014." I didn't see that. I I had to you know how are you feeling right now? And you could kind of see he was just like, but he handled it with such class. Everything he said was great. He said, "Look, I played. I'm not mad about how I played. I played well. I hit a lot of really good putts. They just didn't go in. Like I'm not mad." 
He said, but it is disappointing. He said, I'm knocking on the door and hopefully I'll get through. But he handled the post part of it with such class and, and really with the juxtaposition of the PGA Tour and the Live Tour and what it all means and that he's kind of the face of the PGA Tour right now and that everybody was rooting for him. And he hit so many shots that he had to hit and he just couldn't get the ball in the hole. He handled it with tremendous class. And, right. and I'm a bigger Rory McIlroy fan now than I was going into it. Real quick, because we're up against it. Thoughts uh, on the Tiger walk on Friday? You were not here on the show, but uh, Bo and I both talked about it. Like, it was emotional. Dude, it we was were, emotional. We were, I'm yeah. on the plane, and the flat I was on had DirecTV on it, which I didn't know Perfect. that was even still a thing. Great. So I was watching it, and I got emotional as he's walking over the bridge. And he gets up there, and I'm like, all right. he hits it to, hit this. He hits it to three feet, so I'm like, okay, he's going to finish with a birdie. Awesome. Perfect. And then he missed it. And Which, you could see in the plane, I was like, ah. Oh. The guy next to me was, ah. Oh. And you look around, a bunch of people are like, ah. Oh. Like, ah. Oh. Come on. Just a gust of the wind. Anything. Make that ball go in the hole. It was, by the way, though, he was not the only one. There were plenty of guys from three to five feet all weekend that couldn't make it. that putt there. Man. Like, Smith's two putts on 17 and 18 – to get down in four from where he was on 17 and 18, so yes. two on each hole, like I'm, I probably could go out there. The average golfer could go out there. You could try that probably 20 times from each spot and maybe not get that same result. That putt on 17, he has to hit it hard enough so that it doesn't go fall right in. And you heard AZ's like pros have done that and putted it into the bunker. And then not to hit it too hard that he hits it way past and then has an impossible putt back. He does that. And then the one through the Valley of Sin, and he hit that 30 feet right up a hill, and then it had to swing it back to the left. And not only does it swing, but it's almost a tap in. Yeah, and if you miss it left, it's going to go back down. Yeah. Insane. Like, Hovland didn't even get his first one up there. No. Poor Hovland. He, rough day That was that a rough guy. day for, for Victor. All right. It's not going to be a rough day for your ears when we come back. Anthony Poizel in studio talking about the wide receivers. Taking a look at that position group. Uh, and then top of the hour, get ready, buckle up, phone calls, keep it clean. Let's have some fun. 216-578-0850, wide receiver position preview next on Cleveland Browns Daily. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily here at the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea. Very happy to be joined now by Anthony Poizel, the Browns staff writer, talking wide receivers. We've got a series of position previews going on, cleanbrowns.com on the Browns mobile app. And uh, you've got the written word from you. I do a video as well. Oh, yeah. We can buttress that if there are rookies in the position group with the Browns breakdown. So yep. a lot of content to get people package. excited. Yeah, give them the full, the full package, get them ready to go here. So let's start with this wide receiver room mm -hmm. right now and just kind of in your mind, where are you at with this group? What do you kind of make of it? Yeah, I mean, obviously it starts off with Amari Cooper. That's, that's the one guy um, that I, I think a lot of people are – our most excited. Well, he, I mean, he's going to be getting the most targets. He's going to be, you know, producing the most. Like that's going to be your top receiver. Period. No matter who's yep. quarterback. I mean, it's it's all he's done since he's been drafted in 2015. It's 
you know, he's got five seasons where he's topped 1,000 yards out of the seven years he's played in the league, and those other two seasons weren't even bad. Like, it was just, just didn't get to 1,000. But, um, I mean, he's done, just done nothing but consist, you know, play consistently and produce. And then, you know, kind of he's a lot of fun to watch. And then after him, I mean, there's still a lot of fun pieces. I think a lot of guys uh, that have the chance to kind of have a breakout year this year. Um, and I think the guy that's sort of at the top of that list, at least in my opinion, would be Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't know. That's not what it looked like in one of your articles. No. <laughs> You've got to earn his opportunities. You're I, getting a lot of flack for that. Like, I, where's your love for DPJ? I mean, Come I on. was, but they just had to wait. I was getting there. Like, we, got to the, we had to get to the other 10-question series, and now we're, we're talking about him a little bit more. But, I mean, I, I really do think he is in for, you know, his, his biggest year yet. You saw what he did last year just leading the team in receiving yards. And, um, you know, you'd, you'd like to see – I mean, he's going to get more consistent targets this year. I mean, the way that the receiver room looks now is, is he's going to be – a more featured guy in the offense and um i mean you just look back to the fact too z of you know he was drafted in the sixth round and now yeah. he's he's in position like like i think you were spelling out uh in one of and one of the stuff that you wrote for me is you know if, see if he, you if hear he that you say that one of the things you wrote for me i told you he's my <laughs> boss look at him <laughs> if, uh, he acknowledged did you hear that he gave you some love. He did. I appreciate. I mean, I'm, that. yeah, thank I'm you. Complied, thank but you. No, thank, you. thank you. <laughs> but like, if he if he keeps up, you know, the the rate that he's you know been catching footballs and producing and receiving, like he could be in for a thousand yard season as well. So I mean, that would be insane, and that would mean everything's clicking well on the offense. Um, but I mean, it's really not that far out of out of the realm of possibility for him. So um, we've seen him make so many impressive catches over the last few years, and I definitely had a few more big games last year. Um, and I, I, you know, I think he's the, the the Browns are kind of putting him in this position now, where it's like, hey, like if you want to be a guy that can, you know, get eight targets, eight ten targets a game, like, you know, here you go. Um, so he's definitely somebody else that I, I think could be in for a breakout year. And then obviously, you know, got David Bell, Anthony Schwartz, two other guys that um, are also going to be kind of given some of those opportunities this year. So I know. Things with Bell, I mean, he could be an instant contributor week one. He could be somebody that, uh, you know, maybe slowly comes along but can still end up being a, a pretty big player in this receiving room by the end of the year. So um, I know, you know, we've talked a lot about how good of a spring he had. Just I know you said he's, he's down for zero drops in your book. In my book, yes. In his book, he's one. I, we don't have the tapes, but. Yeah. I got the tape. He fell down. <laughs> he was falling down. It wasn't his mind. But but I mean, the he, monster got him. Yeah, but uh, but no, I mean, he still had a tremendous spring. Just you could see how comfortable he already was, um, and that's just such a good thing to see. I think he's also a guy, you know, drafted in the third round that seemed like the really one of the only reasons why he was sitting there in the third round was just because he had a slow forty time. But there's a lot of examples of receivers over the years that have uh, you know shown that forty time isn't everything. Right. Jarvis Landry's been exactly. an incredibly productive player in this league, did not have a great 40 time, <laughs> and, and he's been just fine. Right. I think you're right. You look at kind of the top of the room, Amari Cooper, he mentioned five seasons with 1,000 yards, four-time Pro Bowler. He's got 7,076 yards, 46 touchdowns in his career, considered one of the premier route runners, and he's got eight or more touchdowns to the last three. DPJ, which, again, and I think this is what you're alluding to, so he leads the team in receiving, which I feel like you most people would not have that fact at 597. Now, listen, yeah, yeah. our leading receiver this year, I think, is going to have significantly more than that. That, which is Should a good be. thing. Should be, yeah. <laughs> but that's where he was for his career: eighteen point eight yards catch, eleven point six yards per target. And, and what stood out to me, and in, in one of the the articles that mm -hmm. we did for for you, mm -hmm. was if you were to give this kid, you know, a thousand or a hundred targets, let's just call it a hundred targets in a season, just going on his career metrics, career, yeah. He'd give you 1,160 yards receiving, right. and he'd score about eight and a half touchdowns, nine touchdowns, and he'd average, you know, 18 yards a catch. Right. That, I mean, those are those Pro Bowl numbers. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. he doesn't even have that many targets in two seasons. You know, when you think about what the star receivers get in this league, 
he doesn't have that. And now he's got to earn that. And you would imagine his efficiency will only go up with improved quarterback play. But right. this is a guy in for his career, which is not a lot. 78 targets, that's his career. That's not a lot for – Devontae Adams will have double that. Right. And right. his numbers on 78 targets, 901 yards, five touchdowns. Like, this is a guy that I think has a real potential to really become – something special and I know that O'Shea loves it he's on top of everything mentally he has the, the respect of everybody in mm-hmm. that locker room and so those look like your top two you mentioned Bell mm-hmm. and, and what Chad O'Shea told me was he's exactly who we thought he was which right. makes us very happy yeah I mean all he's done like throughout the spring was just catch catch the footballs and uh you know it's it's good he's a good route runner as well I think we'll see more of that in training camp once sort of the practice intensity kind of ramps up a little bit and the pads come on which will be really nice but um you know Bell is also going to be one of the guys that that you can maybe you know count on seeing a lot of during the preseason just because he's a rookie they're going to want to get him into that game action um so i just think over the next like month or two he'll be one of the most discussed guys uh coming out of training camp just because there are there's going to be similar to the spring a lot of uh like passing reps going around for these guys this is that's the main part of the offense that they wanted to really make sure that they improve this year and that means that they're going to keep throwing the football in these practices and we're going to get a lot of opportunities to see just how ready david bell is uh for you know his first NFL regular season we're going to see see a lot of opportunities to see just how ready DPJ is for this you know number two receiver role and then you know you talk about Schwartz too like now that he's had a fully healthy offseason a fully healthy spring how big could that be for him you know how that's the guy right that's the guy yeah to me he's the one while he might not play the most what he is able to do the threat of what he is able to do guy who had nine touchdowns and more than 50 yards at Auburn didn't materialize last year started great three catches 69 against Kansas City but He's the one guy. Amari is not that guy. DPJ is not that guy. David Bell is not that guy. Now, DPJ, you say, how could he not be a deep threat? He averages 18 and a half yards as a catch right. for his career. He makes a lot of great contested catches, and he ha- he's able to get down the field with great route running, right. but he's not a burner. He's yeah, not Schwartz just... is elite, like a track runner and everything. All the right. stats that we've covered, just how, how we need. He can he's run. the yeah. one, and I think, I think our receiver, if Anthony Schwartz has a good training camp and they're very pleased with him, I think our receiver room is pretty set. I think that if he... If, if they don't think he's ready, I think that's when you could see a veteran burner maybe being tabbed to be brought in here. Right. Well, I mean, they also have somebody – he's not a deep threat, but you also have somebody else like Jakeem Grant, somebody we haven't touched on. He also has that speed and, and can sort of be that, that gadget type of player. You know, uh, in the spring we did see them run – quite a few plays where it was sort of like an end around to Jakeem or just trying to find sure. ways to get him involved in the offense. And I think that's a big reason why they brought him in as well. He's probably not going to be, you know, a big featured guy in the offense, but he's still going to be somebody that adds a few unique wrinkles uh, each week and, you know, can also keep a defense guessing. And um, I think Schwartz kind of, can, you know, falls in that same category too. Um, you know, like you said, we saw him take quite a few like deep balls last year and, um, you know, you'd like to see him be a little more consistent now that he's got a year under his belt. So I think those two guys, just the kind of speed and sort of that gadget player type element that they have um, can really help, you know, make this wide receiver room be one that can stretch a defense every single week, which is, is so important to do in today's NFL. And, you know, especially in, in the AFC North with how talented of a secondary that they have down in Baltimore and just, to, you know, the type of division that they're in, it's important to have a receiver room that is versatile like this and can stretch a defense. No, you're right. And I think if you look at it, you've got five guys that are going to make the team, right? Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Bell, Anthony Schwartz, and then I would say Jakeem Grant. Now, whether he's counted in our 53 as a receiver or he's counted right. as a return guy, it doesn't matter, but it's one spot. Yeah. And he's likely to do both, and you mentioned him as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his last two years, 505 yards receiving, three touchdowns. He's great in space. So I think what's interesting is who will be the sixth receiver 
on this team. And I think that becomes a very fascinating discussion. And you've got Jamarcus Bradley, who's in five games last year, caught all four of his targets for 64 yards. They like him, an undrafted free agent who you know got that start against the Jets when our whole receiver room went out with COVID right. a couple of years yep. ago and had five right. for 60 to lead the team. You've got Mike Woods, you drafted in out of Oklahoma. And, and I'll tell you what, Chad O'Shea is liking what he's seen from him once yeah. he's able to get on the field. And then we've got a bunch of, you got a guy in Javon Wims who's big, four-year veteran, been in 33 career games with seven starts. And then the undrafted free agents, Isaiah Weston, who's tall and can run, mm -hmm. uh, a guy who averaged 23.9 yards a catch yeah, last year in Northern number. Iowa. The all-time leading pass catcher in the history of the U, Mike Harley Jr., smaller guy, but right. Shadow Shea likes him too. And then right. Travell Harris. So a lot of guys, though, really competing for one spot probably on the roster and then practice squad spots. Right. I mean, it's definitely going to be – this is why, to me, the back end of, of this is why the receiver position and, Felton, and the, and the battle. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned Felton yet. Exactly. But this is why, to me, like the receiver competition is, is the most interesting of, of this camp is just because there's there's a lot of like guys that have a lot of promise. They're young guys, but there's only so so few many spots. And and like you just said, you know, the fact that we haven't even talked about him yet, Demetri Felton's another guy that you could consider a wide receiver. I mean, he's both a running back and a receiver, but throughout the spring and even just his rookie season, we saw him making most of his plays as a receiver. And is, I'm sure that's going to keep happening in training camp. But yeah, I mean, of the guys you mentioned, like I think with Isaiah Weston and Mike Harley, you know, th those two guys both had a couple impressive moments towards the end of the spring. And um, I'd be really curious to see how they keep doing in training camp. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll have several practices where it's like, wow, like one of these back end guys played really well, or maybe it'll happen in a preseason game. And it's just going to be a really intriguing competition to see which of these guys can, can maybe crack that sixth wide receiver spot. Can Demetric Felton and Mike Woods both make this team? I think so. I think if Demetric Felton making the team means there might be a, a surprise move at running back, just be, I don't, I mean, it depends on if they a big surprise, right? It would be a big surprise, but I mean, I'm not saying I don't think Demetri Felton should be on the team. He also looked well in the spring. He played really well last yeah. year as well. well but uh, we loved him. Um, I'm, I'm, I have to say, I feel lucky that I'm not in a move where I have to make those kind of decisions because there are going to be some talented players that I mean, there's 53 when you have a roster like this is is not. It just feels so small in, in some certain positions, and this is going to be one of them. I think yeah. there's going to be you know players that uh, you know they're really going to want to keep if it wasn't for the kind of depth that they have and some of the you know top starters that they have in these positions and. There's going to be tough decisions coming down. Um, this is also, you know, the biggest draft class they've had. But is it like, can you really fit nine rookies on this 53-man roster? It just seems unlikely. So, yes. Um, I mean, I think there is a situation where Mike Woods and Felton can both make this, but they both are going to have to have pretty good camps for, for that to be something that the coaching staff kind of ponders. It's going to be hard. And I think the biggest, again, question mark with this room is, is Anthony Schwartz. What is Anthony Schwartz in year two? Is he somebody that you can rely on and count on to help open up this offense? Or are you going to have to bring somebody else in, which would make it even harder for people to make this team in that room? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge training camp for him. And again, you know, just the fact that he's been healthy and has actually been able to to you know take reps is is going to be yeah. massive for him um hopefully that can keep up through training camp i know you know he was just definitely one of the players during the spring that was that had the ball in his hands the most um and now that you know the kind of practice intensity is going to ramp up a little bit and uh maybe you know the offense will be throwing some new new kind of plays at the defense just because over the course of spring you know it's a lot of sort of like repetition sometimes um but i, I think he's he's going to be a guy that i'm, I'm going to have circled as one that you know you got to watch him uh throughout the whole training camp so yeah, some news just in. Ian Rappaport on the Pat McAfee show said there's a chance we get Deshaun Watson decision this week. 
Uh, so that is another just kind of time. Might be saying there's a chance. That's like yeah. Anybody, there's a chance of anything. I feel like we've been saying there's been a chance the last like two or three. For weeks, sure. So we'll see. The fact it, that it's Rappaport is. We'll special. see what ends up happening there. Uh, ESPN sticking with the wide receivers. They had their top ten wide receivers as voted on by NFL execs, coaches, and players. Um, not one Cleveland Brown is mentioned, and that's okay. I think Amari Cooper should absolutely have been there at least in the honorable he, mention. I think he cracked the Madden top. He's in the top ten in the Madden, right? Jamar Chase is not in the top ten in the Madden. Yeah, that was a little bit of a stunner. Surpriser. But, yeah. Uh, and neither is Debo Samuel, also a shocker. Mm. Uh, here's what the, the list they came out with. One, Devontae Adams. Two, Cooper Cup, who just won the Triple Crown. Three, Jamar Chase. Four, Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson's elite. Five, uh, Tyreek Hill. Six, Stephon Diggs. Seven, DeAndre Hopkins. Eight, Mike Evans, who all he does is produce. Nine, Debo Samuel. Ten, DK Metcalf. Honorable mentions, Keenan Allen. A.J. Brown, Chris Godwin, Terry McLaurin, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Thomas, and Mike Williams. Also receiving votes, Adam Thielen, Tyler Lockett, Deontay Johnson, Odell Beckham Jr., and T. Higgins. Uh, there are a lot of good wide receivers in the NFL. I, bottom line, I was like, say, a lot of really if if, good yeah, receivers. Yeah, like, if there's one thing to take away from this offseason, just all the wide receiver movement, all the big contracts, everything that was going on. I mean, and then you kind of go through the list like that, and you just you understand why. Like, there's so much value in being like some guys. Those some of those guys are playing on the same football team, which is just crazy. Yeah. But it's like you know, it's just such a such a important time right now to make sure you have like top wide receivers and obviously you got to have a good quarterback that goes with it too but um the value for the, all those guys just being a great wide receiver in the nfl has just skyrocketed this offseason and you know we, we've talked about this before too but you know we talk about amari cooper and how they were able to get him for a fifth round pick and a sixth round swap uh you know basically before all all those big moves went down and it's just you know crazy that they were able to get him at that, that kind of value uh it was really one of the more like impressive underrated moves of the offseason i feel like uh, when you look across all the other things that happened in the nfl no doubt about it and by the way uh they were asked after jamar chase field people are getting saying he's a madden snub they said jamar chase is a top blank receiver greg newsom our corner uh, yeah, responded i saw that. top five top yeah. five receiver which is interesting because he remember, did pretty well against him he did i well i remember newsom saying last year uh that that jamar chase i think was the if, i think i have this right that he was the toughest receiver he, he faced against. all last year yeah. and it was a great a great battle both yeah. games um i think the one game uh, I forget which one, if it was the home or the away game. But, yeah, Greg had, like, his best game was, like, three PBUs. And um, I think, like, Jamar Chase was limited. Yeah, uh, I hope nobody tries to read that as that's, like, a disrespect. No, comment. I don't I think, think so. that is very I, much a yeah. compliment. No, that is very much a compliment. Yeah, yeah I think it's, a it's absolutely very compliment. complimentary yeah. uh, from Greg Newsom, I mean, who I think is going to be when this year's yeah. over. I'm saying I'm planting my flag in Greg Newsom. <laughs> I, I think – I think people might say he's a top five corner in the NFL yeah. when this season is over. APR, what can people look for? Cleanbrowns.com, Browns mobile app uh, coming up here as we get ready. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have more of the articles that, I mean, I said you guys are writing them for Man, me. I'm not like your five boss. five things but... already. Like more. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. but we got, we're only halfway through right now. So we got more coming out, um, just covering all areas of the team. And then, you know, we'll just keep diving into the position previews. And we'll what, have... did you, what did you think of me using Grant Delpit as my second year player to break out? I mean, I allowed it, but I'm not surprised by it. You said it yourself. You weren't, you know, taking liberty. That's what you do. I do. That's what, what you do I best. do. So, yeah. um, but no, it was good. Uh, yeah, and then we get players that are going to roll in next week. So, so I'm on um, Friday. The yeah, week is here. coming it's on Fridays, time. and then we get the vets next week, and boom, we're we're rolling it. So, dude, we are rolling. Yep. AP, follow him on Twitter at Anthony P O I S A L to keep up for all the latest on your Browns. Great stuff, brother. All right, when we come back, taking calls. Don't make me regret it. <laughs> Don't make me regret it. Give me some good stuff here. Your training camp questions. Get them ready. Here we go. Cleveland Browns Daily right here on ESPN Cleveland.
Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Elk and Elk Serious Lawyers for Serious Injuries. Call 1-800-ELK-OHIO for your free case review. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of the Cleveland Browns. Go Browns! And you're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily here live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea. This is a big, big week. The Browns will have their quarterbacks, their rookies, and injured veterans reporting on Friday. The rest of the team next Tuesday. So that's eight days there, four days for the rooks and the quarterbacks as well. And we're about to go to the phone line. So this is on you guys to keep it good, and we'll have fun with this. It's going to be great. 216-578-0850. Sure, it'll be great. It should be. Paulus is sweating already. I'm not sweating. Uh, I got the hand on the dump button. We are all good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Before we go really quickly, though, uh, Gary Dennis reached out to me and just wanted to uh, send our, our thoughts out to and condolences to Kevin Hillebrand and his family, a longtime Brown season ticket holder uh, since the 80s who just passed away. So, Kevin, thinking about uh, your family and, and certainly our condolences uh, on the loss there and uh, appreciate everything, you know, uh, being a prominent member of the dog pound. All right, back to the phones we go. 216-578-0815. If we're going to do the phones, there is no better way to start than with Blanca. I, I've actually debated about making him like a weekly contributor. Blanca's the, the greatest. I've had great memories with Blanca on the air, off the air, a legend really in his own time. Wonderful human. And and guess what? He's joined the program right now. Blanca, what's up, dude? Nathan, love it. Congratulations. A, a legend in my own mind. I don't know a legend in my own kind, but. Own time, I said. A legend in your own time. My own time, I don't know. I think you're yeah. probably legendary. I'm just trying to live up to it, Nathan. Just trying no, to live up no. to it. So, guys, thank you so much. Love the show. Congratulations. Most importantly, where are we at with our defensive line? I know it's not sexy. I know it's not what everybody wants to talk about. But of anything in my head, who is going to stop the run this year for us? I need to know this. All right, Blanca, uh, and you are a legend, and I appreciate the phone call, and, and I like that you're focused on that, a little smash-mouth football, a little hard-nosed football wants to know what's going on. And I know he obviously isn't talking about what's going on on the edges of our defensive line because that's easy, right? What's going on, on the edges? We've got Jadevian Clowney. We've got Miles Garrett back, so we're good there. So he's saying, talk to me about the interior of the defensive line. And so that's what I'm going to do. So here's where we are. Last year's starters, the Maliks, not with us anymore. So we've got some new faces and some also some familiar faces that are going to have an opportunity to step up. I think we've got five guys right now. And, and I would say to you, Blanca, and to everybody listening, if there's one room, I wrote about it at cleanbrowns.com, where we really don't know who's going to start. I can tell you who I think is going to start as of now, but we've got training camp in the preseason to go to sort this out. I don't think there's anybody who's guaranteed a starting job. But here are the principles involved. And by the way, let me just say this. The Browns' defense is built to get you to throw the football and for us to be able to get after the quarterback with Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney. You know, we got Chase Winovich. We're bringing Alex Wright on the outside. We'll be in three defensive ends in a lot of those pass rushing situations. There was reports over the weekend that Tack McKinley's doing well and that he wants to come back and that there's mutual interest there on what would be a cheap one-year deal. And I'm for it. Big Tack McKinley guy. I thought, I thought he was excellent last year before he suffered that injury. So that's where we're on the outside. So on the inside... We've got Jordan Elliott, who was the Browns' third-round pick in 2020. Last year, 16 games, uh, career-high 464 snaps. He notched his first half sack against the Ravens. Career highs and pressures 10 and tackles with 26. He's had a great offseason. We've heard that before. 
We need him to step up because I think it's likely right now he's somebody that could start for you. Now, next to him is the big Taven Bryan, former first-round pick of the Jags in 2018. He was the 29th overall pick that year. And I talked with Chris Kiffin, our defensive line coach, about Taven Bryan. And what he told me was we felt that he was used not the way we would use him in Jacksonville. So in Jacksonville, they were having him play positions and in roles and in styles that the Browns wouldn't. So the Browns identified him early in free agency. They felt that he was a great talent and a perfect scheme fit for what the Browns were going to do with their attacking four-man front. And so they got Brian. Remember, that was done early in free agency. That may have been day one. It was either day one or day two. It was right away in free agency. He's got 63 career games, 17 starts, five and a half sacks, 15 tackles for loss, 86 tackles in his career. So if you said today, that's who I would pencil it in. And again, the Browns are not afraid of teams trying to run the football. I go back to this stat, which I think is so fascinating, right? The best running back in the league, so our Nick Chubb, for example, is going to give you about five and a half yards of carry. That's the best. The worst quarterback in the NFL is going to give you more than six yards an attempt. So it's always more efficient to throw the football than it is to run it. Always. The Browns are built on stopping the pass. You must be able to stop the pass to win. And I think they feel like the combination of both of our ends, by the way, are tremendous run defenders. Miles Garrett and Clowney, both great run defenders. They think Alex Wright will be an excellent run defender as well. Our linebackers are very good against the run, whether that's Walker, Phillips, Taki, JOK. Our corners all tackle. Our safeties all tackle. So they feel good about that. But Elliot and Brian, those are the starters right now. I would say pencil them in. Pushing them, you've got Perrion Winfrey, our fourth-round pick out of Oklahoma. Again, a guy that they thought played out of position in college. He was a zero or a one tech, a true nose tackle at Oklahoma. He plays the three technique in the Senior Bowl. Guess what? That's what he's going to play with the Cleveland Browns. He was the MVP of the Senior Bowl. The Browns are excited about him. It's not hard to imagine a scenario in which Perrion Winfrey contributes as a rookie this year. Then he got Tommy Togiai, our fourth-round pick last year out of the Ohio State University. Got active uh, starting Week 10 against New England. Six games, 125 snaps, two pressures, half a sack, 16 tackles. Incredibly strong. And he's a guy that they think can use his strength to help buttress this run defense in the middle. And then the fifth name that I will leave you with is Sheldon Day, who is back, a six-year veteran, former fourth-round pick of the Jags in 2016. Uh, last year started against Green Bay, played very, very well, a very talented guy, and one of those guys that it feels like no matter what they do, you know, they try to uh, upgrade him, replace him, whatever. He's just always here. Why? Because he is a very talented player who knows how to play and knows how to produce. He's being in big situations as well. Sheldon Day, let's not forget, was in the Super Bowl, right? He was in the Super Bowl with the 49ers on that line. So Chris Kiffin, who was the defensive line coach there, knows him. And so they have a lot of confidence in him. And then a couple other names just to keep an eye on. you got Glenn Logan, a big 300-pound run stuffer out of LSU. Started the, basically his whole career at LSU as a national champion. Had a half a sack in that game against Clemson. Big body. And then there's Roderick Perry, undrafted free agent out of Illinois, all Big Ten honorable mention. So Logan is somebody, if you're saying, all right, diamond in the rough potential for run defense in particular, that's who it is. But uh, they like Elliott. They like Brian. Brian's a big guy. You got Winfrey, Togia, and Sheldon. I think those are your top five that are going to try to go ahead and, and shut down the run in the middle. And now, look, run defenses, it takes everybody. They have an opportunity, though, as I said, I think to be great on the ends, great at the second level. And, in fact, Warren Sharp just listed his top front sevens in the NFL, had the Browns, I think, seventh. And he has the Browns as one of the top back ends in the NFL as well. That's why this is going to be a very, very good defense for the Cleveland Browns here. I think it has a chance to be elite. Gibbe? All right, back to the phones we go. Steven is on the phone. Steven, you're on Cleveland Browns Daily with Nathan Zagura. 
What's up, Steven? He uh, should be sad. up. Sad. Steven, are you there? All right, moving on. Moving on. Sad. Can you hear me? No, no. Oh, hello. oh there he is, Steven. Oh, 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 saved by the bell. Go down. Saved by the bell. It ain't nothing new. Listen, boy. There you go. We're gonna How you doing, man? Here. We're doing good, man. We got the Browns. The Brownies right. are going to come into town. It don't matter where we're at, away or home. We're going to kill everybody. We got Deshaun Watson, that quarterback. The dude's a top five in the league for how many years? People are going to argue it all day long. It don't matter. We got the best defense. We got the youngest studs. We got the best DN. I mean, come on, guys. Who's going to touch us? The Steelers? Can you pick it? <laughs> come on, boys. This is our year. Uh, I certainly see really appreciate the call. I, have, I like it. A statement. You just made a statement and you're fired up. I like it. I'm excited uh, that's to. That's a Monday energy boost. Right it there. is. And I'm Need excited it. about this defense. I really am. I think that the Cleveland Browns defense has a real opportunity to be a very, very special defense. When you talk about the ability to get to the quarterback with Garrett and with Clowney, when you talk about the versatility and the speed at the linebacking core with Anthony Walker Jr., with JOK, who I think is going to be a superstar this year. Jacob Phillips has looked great. You got Taki Taki. And then you go to the back end. You know, you look at this Browns team and you say your top three corners, you know, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Greedy, that might be one of the best trios in the league. Then you go MJ Emerson for AJ Green five. So five of basically four of your top five corners from a year ago are back. You add MJ Emerson in the mix. MJ Stewart, honest, ironically, it's an MJ for an MJ. Uh, he goes to the Houston Texans. And then your safeties, John. Grant, Ronnie, all back. Rich LeCount back as well. And MJ Stewart, who played some safety for you. Again, the only notable departure from the back end of this defense for Jeff Howard and Brandon Lynch. So there are, is a great reason to be excited about this defense this year. And then obviously the addition of Deshaun Watson. And we'll find out exactly what that means. Puts us in a position where offensively we should be explosive, dangerous. We should be able to throw the football effectively. We already know we can run the football no matter what. So... This is a team, let's not forget, if they just scored 20 points a game over the second half of the season, we win the division. Just 20, 2-0. We couldn't do that. Now we're going to be able to do that, and that's why I think there's a lot of optimism around this team, and, and even though there's still uh, some things to figure out and, and find out exactly what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Back to the phones we go. David is on Cleveland Browns Daily. David, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just want to say, like, I think the Tack McKinley – I think the Tack McKinley uh, potential signing is underrated. I think that is going to be a big help. But I, I wanted to ask, Nathan, um, who do you think is the coolest player on the Browns, and why is it JOK? <laughs> why is it JOK? So I don't know what you mean necessarily by coolest, but uh, JOK has got a lot of swag. Delpit's got a lot of swag. Uh, Greg Newsom uh, does as well. Clowney. There are a lot of guys here. If you're saying to me the coolest, and, and you're talking just like, the best dudes or guys that I certainly have enjoyed getting to know and, and talking to. That's a really long list, too. I mean, offensively, Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, great dudes. Conklin, Nick Harris, great dude. We don't know Jed as well because he came in in the COVID season, so we didn't really get the chance to know him like we would have Wyatt's, most rookies. Wyatt's elite. Joel I mean, Batonio is elite. Some booze with Wyatt. Shoot some guns. Wyatt Teller, a, a fine human. I love talking to Kareem. I love talking to Uris Johnson. Um, and then you go out to the receiver room. Obviously, we've, we've developed, I think, on this program, a great relationship with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Huge fan of his. Just a quality young man. Great human. Rooting for him. Great player. Uh, and then in the tight end room, love the Chief. Couldn't love the Chief anymore. Harrison Bryant's been great to us as well. Demetric Felton in the receiver room. Uh, and then you go defensively. Like, 
You talked about JOK, and JOK is a cool guy. We love talking with him. He kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer, which I like about him. He's a unique guy. Greg Newsom is as, as nice as he is talented, and that is to say extremely. I, I love having him on the show. He's so easy to talk to. I've gotten to see him out at some Cavs games as well. He's always down there in the front row. He's a great dude. We love Double Deuces. John Johnson's great. Walker's great. Taki is great. I mean, we're lucky. This is a team uh, made up of a lot of very likable guys in addition to the fact that there's a lot of talent here. So I think that's one of the reasons that you're hearing them talk so much about the camaraderie and how tight this locker room is and because it's a, it's an easy group of people uh, to really, really like. And then if you're saying all time, you know, the guys that on the, the Mount Rushmore, at least just kind of right now, top of my head, you got the Joes, uh, Joe Thomas, the Hoff, Joe Hayden was great, great guy. And his new tattoo is unbelievable with like half Steeler, half Brown. Pretty sweet. Um, huge Bronco Bill. Uncle Bronco Bill. Huge Josh McCown guy. I mean, Josh McCown was great, great while he was here. Yeah, Uncle Bronco Bill, Billy Wynn. Uh, also, Money Mitch. All time. Oh, Money Mitch for sure. Britton Cole. I mean, we've been lucky. We have been blessed. Kirko. So many great guys have come through here. And so it's been, it's a real uh, honor, obviously, and a treat and a privilege to get to do this job. But we've been very lucky that, with some of the guys that have, that have come through here. We'll right. take one more. One more. See, these Howard. are great. You're on Cleveland Howard. Browns Daily. Let's go. Hey, can you hear me, guys? Yes, we sir. We can hear you. All right, thanks. First, I want to say thanks to the Big Z for uh, the great cameo to my mother last Hanukkah. And I oh, man, my pleasure. I also love hearing about the kids' exploits and your vacations as I have a seven-year-old and an eight-and-a-half-year-old, two boys myself. So always up for hearing those recommendations. I appreciate it, man. And, yeah, we got – listen, got to have fun out there. Got to live. You take it around and, and have some fun with your children. Listen, all I will say is the one thing I've learned that beyond a shadow of doubt is that tubing is undefeated. I don't think anybody's ever had a bad time tubing. So I think the more tubing you can do, the happier everybody is going to be involved in that. But thanks for the kind words. And there we go, Gibbe. See, look at that. Howard, are you still there? I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. And, uh, yeah, just got back from the Alpine slide in Mount Hood. I live in Portland, Oregon, and that's a great activity. Oh, nice. Uh, my question what is the Alpine is slide? What is that? What, what do we go down the uh, slide in? Yeah, you, you, go, uh, you go up on a chairlift, and it's kind of like a – uh, a little bobsled run. You're kind of on a, a hard plastic, uh, you know, sled with a with a throttle that push down makes you go faster, pull back makes you go slower. And my six six and a half year old could do it by himself. So great activity for the kids. It was up at uh, Ski Bowl Adventureland near Mount Hood here in Oregon. Oh man, that sounds like the best time oh, ever. It's like a real Oregon's good time. got a lot of good stuff up there. You got you're talking Mountain Hood area. Portland's a beautiful city. Then you got Bandon Dunes. You've got great Pinot oh, Noirs. Yeah. Come on, I mean Oregon's Oregon's a solid state. Nike's up there. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Nike's up Very here. Good. Adidas, Intel. But my question today, gentlemen, is yeah. let's look in, at the 2021 draft. No rookies were cut. 2022, we got a lot of people on the roster. I'm just wondering about that 221 class, 222 class, and I'm sensitive to uh, any prejudice, you know, hurting anyone's feelings. But two, 2021 class, I just wonder about Tony Fields and Richard LeCount. And 2022, you mentioned Mike Woods, and, and, and I'm particularly interested in, in Isaiah Thomas. How's he looking? And any comments, you know, I know there's a lot of emotional investment. No one wants to cut anyone who's drafted. But I just want to look at 
players who are going to have to really perform from two, two, 2021 and this year to make the team? Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a good question. Appreciate it. So I think everybody's going to have to perform. I don't think it's going to be an easy roster to make. And so you look at the Browns draft classes, right, and you go back to 2021 and 2022, and you think about how many guys were drafted. And this year we had nine on a roster that feels pretty darn complete. And so you say to yourself, all right, how can we get all these guys on the team? And so you correctly pointed out last year, the Browns drafted Newsom, Owusu, Koromo, uh, Schwartz, Hudson, Togiai, Fields, LeCount, and Felton. So that's, by my calculations, that's eight. Then you had nine guys this year, Emerson, Alex Wright, Bell, Perrion, Cade York, Ford, Woods, Thomas Deaton. Okay, so Greg Newsom's making this team and starting. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo is making this team and starting. Anthony Schwartz is going to make this team, I think, in a backup role, but they hope that that expands. James Hudson will make this team in a backup role. Tommy Togie, I think, does make this team, but let's talk about the defensive tackle room. You've got Sheldon Day. You have Taven Bryan as veterans. You've got Jordan Elliott now in his third year. Togie in his second. Winfrey in his first. My guess is four guys make this team. Obviously, you want Tommy Togie to be one of those four, but I think he's got to compete and prove that he is better significantly so than maybe a Sheldon Day. So I think Togiai's one. Fields is in a little bit better of a position, I would say, following the release of Mac Wilson. And one of the reasons that I would say that is you look at this linebacking room, you've got your top four, right? You've got uh, Anthony Walker Jr. and Jacob Phillips. One of those will be the starting Mike. You've got JOK and you've got uh, Sione Takitaki. Behind that, you know, with the departure of Mac Wilson and the trade for Chase Winovich, you've got Tony Fields, who was our fifth-round pick last year, played 10 games on special teams. They like how he's developed as a linebacker, but again, special teams will be the key. If he continues to be great there, he'll make it. You've got Dakota Allen, who's a three-year veteran with 32 career games, three starts, who's a special team standout for the Jags last year. So those two guys are probably com competing with Willie Harvey, Silas Kelly to make this team at linebacker so you've got probably four locks and then two more maybe to get in there at the linebacker position or one more depending on special teams and how they allocate things on the d-line and the defensive backfield but i think fields is he's certainly in a competition right with dakota allen willie harvey who's been with the browns was on a couple games last year's been with the browns really on and off since 2019 and then you have silas kelly the undrafted free agent that made a very good impression uh, out of coastal carolina who had 340 tackles in college so the, that would be a guy who's in a competition. Rich LeCount, who you mentioned at the safety position, he's definitely the number four safety right now, which would put him on the roster. He's got to be a good special teams guy, but I feel good about Rich LeCount. He's had a, a nice start to his second year. And then there's Felton, who was probably uh, offensively the most productive guy last year uh, out of this group, uh, 18 catches, 181 yards, and two touchdowns. But I think he's in a real battle to make this roster. He doesn't have a natural home because you brought Jakeem Grant in to be your return man, so he's not going to make the team as just a return man. You've got four running backs in Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, and um, Jerome Ford, who are probably ahead of him on the running back depth chart. And then at receiver, you know, he's probably competing to be the sixth receiver with Mike Woods. So you've got Felton and Mike Woods who are potentially going after one spot. I think this year's class, Emerson, Wright, Bell, Winfrey, York, Jerome Ford, feel really good to me. Isaiah Thomas is going to battle to make this football team. And now he led the Sooners in sacks each of the last two years, even though his teammate went much earlier, Nick Benito. But he's going to have to battle because you're talking about a defensive end room that's got Miles and Clowney who are locks. Alex Wright's a lock. You traded for Chase Winovich. 
feel good about his ability to make this football team. We're talking about potentially Tack McKinley coming back. Then you've got, you know, Curtis Weaver, who's been in the program. Then you've got Isaiah Thomas now, plus a couple of veterans, Stephen Weatherly and Isaac Rochelle. Like, that is a very, very condensed room. Very condensed. And you're likely to keep four of those guys, five max. But right now you would say Winovich, Weatherly, Rochelle, Thomas, Weaver are all competing for one spot. If McKinley comes back, is there a spot? And I think Winovich probably is the favorite. But Weatherly is a guy who's been in 73 career games, 17 starts, eight and a half sacks. Rochelle, 63 career games, nine starts, nine and a half sacks. Now, Winovich had 11 sacks in just his first two seasons alone before he was banged up last year. So he's been the most productive. A lot of talent there. So it, it is going to be tough to make this team. And I think you could see... I don't think everybody who was in the 2021 class will ultimately be on this roster, and then I don't think everybody on the 2022 class will be on the 53 year. I think a lot of guys maybe end up on the practice squad in Dawson Deaton, an uphill battle because you've got Nick Harris and you've got uh, you know Ethan Posick that you brought in. So a lot of talent there. That was fun. Appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to talk Steelers. We're talking Steelers. That's right. Brooke Pryor, ESPN NFL Nation reporter covering the Steelers, joins us for about a team in transition for the first time in a long time as the Ben Roethlisberger era is over and the Kenny Pickett era begins. That's coming up next here on Cleveland Browns Daily. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. We continue our tour of the 10 most intriguing teams of 2022. And guess what? This one is in our division because for the first time in a long, long time, the Steelers will not. Have Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. The Roethlisberger era is over. The Kenny Pickett era likely begins. Maybe it's not going to be Kenny Pickett, but who the person who can tell us what's going on. Brooke Pryor, the ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter, joins us on the hotline now. And Brooke, it is a strange season for the Steelers. I think there's uncertainty for the first time in a long time, but frankly, all they do is win under Mike Tomlin. What's kind of the mood around this team, especially in a loaded AFC North? You know, it's funny when you said that maybe this is the Kenny Pickett era. I wish that you could see the face I made because I was like, ah, I don't know if we're there yet. Uh, <laughs> and I think, that's, I think that's kind of how the team feels as a whole. I mean, Mike Tomlin said it best earlier this year when he was like, I am looking forward to being uncomfortable. And I think that's kind of the Steelers as a whole is there's an uncomfortability going into training camp, not knowing who the starting quarterback will be. Um, and knowing that it's not going to be Ben Roethlisberger, but you know the team is made in the in the image of Mike Tomlin, so therefore they're kind of excited, I think, about not knowing what's next because it's been such a foregone conclusion for you know almost two decades that so they're looking forward to you know kind of mixing things up a little bit. And they will mix it up. So I'll start with this then. Is the biggest question who is going to be the starting quarterback for the Steelers week one? And this is truly, is it truly a two-man competition or is it truly a three-man competition? So this is not the exciting answer, and I'm sorry for that. I kind of think the biggest competition is going to be at left guard, which I know how much everyone loves a no-line competition. You know, really something oh, yeah. you your teeth into. Uh, you know, tell all the stats, everything else. No, but I think the sense I get from talking to people around the team is that right now Mitch Trubisky is the starting quarterback kind of until further notice. 
and that's okay. notice, let's be honest, could come in training camp if Kenny Pickett comes out there and just really knocks the socks off of everyone, which I'm not going to rule it out. Stranger things have happened, but based on what I saw in OTAs and minicamp, I kind of believe that this is Mitch Trubisky's job to lose. And then, you know, I, I don't know whether or not Mason Rudolph will end up being on the roster when the regular season okay. starts. I think that he's going to be someone that is on the trade block um, just, you know, by virtue of, of he – I think needs a fresh start somewhere, but he could be in the mix. And they clearly think that at this point he's more developed than Kenny Pickett because he's been taking second team reps. Um, but I just get the sense that as much fun as we thought we were going to have with an open quarterback competition, it's maybe not quite so open, but left guard, if that's your thing, I think Kendrick Green and Kevin Dotson are really going to go at it uh, during training camp. And that's going to be an exciting one to watch. What do you think the identity of this football team is going to be? Because for so long it was dominant defense, and then, of course, you had Ben Roethlisberger, and for a while it was the Killer Bees with Ben and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. And offensively, you do have some stars. Deontay Johnson is a star. Claypool's shown flashes. I think he got a, a steal in George Pickens. Fryermuth was very good, and Najee Harris obviously didn't have a lot of room to run but uh, did a, a great job in his rookie year. But this it's a defense that feels a little bit in transition uh, with some names that that are, you're familiar with not being there any longer, but what do you kind of think the identity of this team is going to be? Well, I can tell you what they need it to be, and that's to have, again, that dominant defense, but also have the offense run through Najee Harris. I mean, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time with him this offseason just seeing how he trains, um, kind of just looking at how he immerses himself in his offseason program. And, I mean, he starts training at 9 a.m., and he has not finished until – 9, 9.30 p.m. He does three workouts a day. I mean, he is preparing as if he's going to be carrying this team on his back, and I think in a lot of ways he is, as long as that O-line can get figured out in front of him. I think that, A, they're going to be able to utilize him more, open up some bigger holes for him, and then whoever this quarterback is, likely Mitch Trubisky, you're going to see Najee Harris involved more. They're going to have more play action. I just think that the mobility and the way that the Steelers can open up the playbook with a younger quarterback, a more mobile quarterback, is going to give Najee a lot more opportunities. Sure. So I think that the identity of this team kind of has to flow through Najee Harris offensively. And then defensively, yes, they're, they're, it is a little bit in flux, um, but at the same time you still have some real superstars coming back, like Nick yeah. Fitzpatrick, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward. They're all right there. As, as long as they can fix their issues – with the run defense, which easier said than done, but having Tyson Alulu back, Larry Ogunjobi, someone you guys obviously know pretty well, sure. um, I think that, that that's going to help them. But if they're going to be successful in a loaded AFC North and just the AFC as a whole, that's kind of have, going to have to be the recipe. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, Tewitt retires, kind of, and he had been so good for them, obviously injured last year. You get Alu-Alu back, you bring in Larry Ogunjobi, you draft a Marvin Leal in the third round. But Larry's a guy who was very productive in Cincinnati, was very good here. He's doing his tour of the AFC North, also a great guy. And, you know, with Joe Hayden leaving and Joe Schobert leaving, like they said, we've got to get another Brown in here, and here comes Larry Ogunjobi. I don't know if you've got a chance to talk with him yet. A tremendous guy. We loved him here. Not yet, but I'm looking forward to getting to training camp, which is getting here like faster than I realize. I mean, a week from tomorrow, I will be up in Latrobe, and I'm excited. He's one of the guys that I definitely want to get to know because I think that he is going to be so huge for this run defense, for this defense as a whole. Because, yeah, you mentioned Stefan Tuitt retires, and he was obviously a non-factor last year just with everything yep. that was going on with him. But 
he was a really big loss. You add in Tyson Alulu getting hurt very early on in the season, and the Steelers just kind of started out behind the eight ball. They did not have much depth up front, and that was a huge issue when you're in you know a very um, tough division like the AFC North. You're going to have a lot of teams that just want to ram the ball down your throat. They ran into that also against the Vikings. Um, I just think that Ogunjobi is going to be a big key in making this defense better, kind of flying under the radar because he's not, you know, necessarily a big name like a Miles Jack um, or guys returning like T.J. Watt, but he's going to be crucial to what the Steelers want to do. And, and let's talk about the back end of this defense. What do you make of the corner situation here, and, and how comfortable are they with what they have back there? Obviously, it's safety with Minka Fitzpatrick. You feel good about that. What about the corners? Yeah, I mean, I think you maybe don't feel great. Joe Hayden's a big loss. I know he's yeah. getting older, and he was injured, and, and that lack of availability hurt him as well as his price tag. But at the same time, you're really going to miss that veteran leadership because when he was healthy – he was a really good lockdown corner. Um, and Akella Witherspoon played really well toward the end of the season, so you hope that he can replicate that early on. Cam Sutton, another good player. Uh, Arthur Milletta, I feel like they have a lot of pieces that don't necessarily have set roles, which can be a good thing to have that versatility, but I think you'd feel a lot better if you had a solid number one corner. You know, they brought in Levi Wallace. I think he can be good, but to me – Corner's the biggest question mark on the defense at this point. And then flipping around the offensive side, a lot of talent. I mentioned earlier at wide receiver in the pass catching room. You said the offense, though, likely to run through Najee Harris. How do you see their ability to kind of keep Deontay Johnson and Claypool and even Pickens if he gets in the mix? How do they and Fryermuth? How do they keep these guys happy with the football? Because it's going to be a totally different offense. Now they're probably going to throw it down the field a little more than everything being a one yard pass. But how do you get the ball in those guys' hands enough to keep them happy? Yeah, I think that that is going to be a really difficult thing. And it's also interesting when you run through all those names. They're all guys that are not don't have a ton of experience. Deontay Johnson is the most veteran guy right. in that group, and yet he's very much a quiet leader, kind of you know a hard worker, lead by example guy. There, there isn't a vocal Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, so I think that these guys have to be even more locked in because it's not going to be a mentally easy season. Not that any of them are, but – when you're working in a new quarterback, whether that's Trubisky or Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph, um, and you add in Matt Canada's playbook that's, I think, going to be opened up a lot more, like I said earlier, um, I think that it's going to be something they're going to really have to work through. But I would expect to see a lot of quick passes, um, more down-the-field stuff. Also, don't forget, I think Calvin Austin is going to be a very interesting add he can play in the slot. He can also go outside. He's a little guy, but he's really fast. I think he could kind of be the secret weapon in Matt Canada's offense if he can be consistent. He had some drops during OTAs, during minicamp, but he's a rookie. There's going to be some growing pains. But, yeah, they have a lot of very talented guys in that room. That's going to be – I don't think anybody's going to be putting up necessarily Pro Bowl numbers, at least not initially. You're going to kind of have to, to fight for everything you get in that group. What's kind of the mindset? As I said at the top, they've never had a losing record under Mike Tomlin. I'm not suggesting that they will have a losing record this year. It feels like in most people's minds, right, that they will be, that certainly the Bengals will be the favorites in the division having just gone to the Super Bowl. The Ravens, who were still darn good even though they had half their team injured last year, including very key people, they're going to be in the mix. The Browns have an unbelievable roster, and I'm sure we'll get some clarity at some point soon on how long Deshaun Watson will be up. But that's a team that probably has real Super Bowl aspirations. The Steelers are the one team that feels like 
maybe necessarily don't. And of course, every team does every year. And I've done this with the Browns for a long time. So I realize that every year that's the stated goal and it doesn't always work out, but that is the goal. So maybe they've got the aspirations, but this is an unfamiliar position for them to be in, in the sense that probably for the first time, they're going to be picked to finish last in the division more than any other team. How is that kind of sitting with everybody? You know, it's funny because I feel like every team, every year, kind of no matter where you are, wants the narrative of, oh, nobody believes in us because you want it united sure. with the common enemy, you know? In this case, I think it actually works to the Steelers' advantage because every other year you hear like, oh, nobody believes in the Steelers. And the thought is like, yeah, right, everybody believes in the Steelers because of Ben, because of Mike Tomlin. Now I think there really is some doubt, at least outside the building, and that brings a team closer together. I mean, I, I look at the 2019 season. They almost made the playoffs, which is an especially impressive feat when you consider that Mason Rudolph yeah. and Duck Hodges were the quarterbacks. I think that that kind of adversity, especially early on, can kind of accelerate the team building process and really give the guys something to rally around early in camp. And like, like I said, you always kind of play into that narrative, whether it's real or not. In this case, I think it is. And I think that that benefits the Steelers, at least starting out. All right, now we have to talk about something very serious, very oh sad. I'm, I'm excited. Heinz Field, come on! What are we doing here? <laughs> Even I like it when we get into the Heinz Red Zone and the ketchup bottles are throwing ketchup around. I saw them taken down. Acrisure, oh. great. I love that they're doing good things for people out there. Maybe I don't know. I don't even know what they do. But Heinz Field is like that is a staple. I know. I know. It's. I don't know how I'm going to like even tell my husband like, oh, I'm I'm going to. Acrisure today like that feels weird that did not yeah. feel natural coming out of my mouth like whenever I talk about where I live in Pittsburgh it's always like oh I'm about 10 minutes from Heinz that kind yeah. of thing and all of a sudden like I have to change my entire vocabulary but I mean the players have said that the guys I've talked to have kind of said you know yes it stinks there's a sentimentality there but we're the ones that are going to make it special so it will For get its sure. own nickname it can also still exist as Heinz you know or you know start calling it Three Rivers again I don't know Maybe Acrisure becomes the sure, or it's a sure thing in Acrisure. I mean, there there are different ways that you can spin it if we're looking on the bright side. On the other Look side, at you. So I was positive. Really when, the, when the ketchup bottles went down. That was, I saw I, that this morning. I know. Brooke, I was devastated, and I'm supposed to hate that place. It's, a, it's been a house of whores other than, of course, our big wild card win. No big deal. But other than that, it hasn't been great there. And – I, it's just cool. All of a sudden, you know, you get renegade going, ketchup bottles are pouring ketchup down in the Heinz red zone. It's like, this is, it's perfect. Yeah, it really is. It's a great venue. I think we have, I think we're very fortunate. That's a great venue. And I know that you've been to a lot of big games in Baltimore. That ends up being a great environment as well, but it just, to me, and nobody cares that Baltimore's M and T bank or whatever they may change it to at some point, but Heinz field was one of those u unique places around the league where it's still called you know where they that's what's focused on right it's like oh mm -hmm. we're going to heinz field it's heinz yep. field it's it's man an end of an era it's like come on we gotta I'll, the bottles at least how can they not keep the bottle part I of know. it sponsor all the red zone say, look all i can say is like thank god it's not crypto.com arena because that to oh, well. me would be worse than acrisure i think that i think that there's some wiggle room <laughs> with some nicknames in acrisure if you're if you become crypto.com like I, I mean, granted, I am not a banker. I am not into crypto, but it feels like that's something that's uh, a fad and going to fold soon. Uh, oh, so oh, it's had a rough year, so don't you worry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's had a rough year. So then yeah. what happens? Are you, is it still Crypto.com Arena even when crypto isn't a thing anymore? I mean, 
Acrisure, I think that there's some things that you can you can work with and finagle, but crypto is just embarrassing. Yeah, and and right now, yeah, that's the crypt. I would imagine as a lot of people have have seen their portfolios go way down, which is not fun for anybody. Yeah, much worse. But this, I'm just listen. I am Acra unsure about it. That's all I'm going to say right now. (laughs) That's good. A plus. A plus. Well, we'll go out on a high note, Brooke. It is always a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to seeing you this season and uh, and reading your great contact, keeping us up to date on what, for the first time, is a different looking Steelers scene than it's been in a very, very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got all right. So much more to come here on Cleveland Browns Daily as we wrap it up here on Monday. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. Big thanks to Brooke Pryor for joining us there. And it's going to be interesting. I I am sad that it's not Heinz Field anymore. At least we won the last playoff game at Heinz Field. That's oh, cool. That's we cool did, to say. didn't we? We did. Uh, aren't you a little bummed about that? Like, those ketchup bottles were sweet. Sure. No, you don't You don't care at all? Like, it doesn't make a difference? Maybe this means that we'll actually start winning regular season games. Yeah, new Connors from Pittsburgh. What does I he know. think? We don't hold it against him. What does he think? Our, oh, Connor, go ahead, buddy. New Connor, everybody. You know, you know it's sad to see. But it's it's the change of an era, I think. But why couldn't they just keep the ketchup bottles for the Heinz Red Zone? I thought it would make great marketing. Yeah, it is know, great marketing. It's, it's fantastic. It's phenomenal marketing. You know, when they hop in the Red Zone, the ketchup bottles pour down. It's like a tradition. It's a Pittsburgh thing. So uh, I thought they they would keep that, but obviously not. No, it's like they're all, it's either you're in or you're out. Apparently, rough. Yeah, very sad. Stevie got airtime on day one. Yeah, he did. Go Stevie, go. All right, we had some a little bit of drama in the NFL today. Uh, Ian Rappaport went on NFL Now and basically said that, look, you know, it is no sure thing that in that uh, J.K. Dobbins would be ready for week one, saying it was a very serious knee injury. There's no incentive to rush him back. They signed Mike Davis as a precaution in case he's not ready to go. And then J.K. Dobbins says, OK, I'm tired of being quiet. Come to me for your source at Rap Sheet because I might even go on the pup because I might not even go on pup because that's how good my rehab is going. And I'm damn sure. I'm going to be ready for week number one. And Dobbins would continue to go. He said, I would post videos, but I want you to, I don't want you fake doctors and people have never spoken a word to me to see what me and Jesus have been up to on the biggest stage. The work Jesus does with me and you will never do or doubting me. You can never understand it. Just know I'm working. I've been quiet for a reason. I thrive best when I face adversity. Go check my resume. And then in what turned out to be a very fun moment is that, uh, Ian Rappaport was on McAfee as as Dobbins tweets this out, and then McAfee gives him a lot of grief, saying that he just got dunked on, and Rappaport was not really playing along and said, you know, look, I trust my sources. I hope that that's the right outcome. I hope it all works out. But I thought it was hilarious. McAfee was doing, like, post-fake posters and having the time of his life with it. Rapsheet was not having it. No. He was not having I retweeted that one out. I said this made me laugh because it really did. Uh, Rappaport followed up at 204. He said, when news develops while on live TV, we discuss. Watch the whole clip for my views on the situation, which he was like, look, I think it's great that he you know, came back and said that, and I hope that he is you know, ready to go when it's all said and done. But 
at the same time, I trust my sources, and I believe we're going to be, uh, we'll see what happens. So, anyway, that's a fun way to get a little bit of uh, a little bit of drama there uh, as it goes. And, you know, we told you at the beginning, ruling could be this week, could be next week. Uh, Charles Robinson of Yahoo was on his podcast and actually said that he, he apparently that there's a lot of feeling that it didn't go well for the NFL and that Sue Robinson is urging both sides to settle, meaning the NFL come down and meet Watson to settle because otherwise they're going to set a precedent. It's going to be very tough for the NFL. So again, who knows how reliable this is, but if that is a true interpretation of the events, that's a good one for Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. All right. Thanks for being with us here today. Again, like I said, thank you very much for the calls. Thanks Anthony Poizal for stopping by for the receiver preview. Brooke Pryor for stopping by to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. A welcome to new Connor. For Gibbe, I'm Nathan Zagura saying the next level is next. Thanks for listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on ESPN 850 WKNR. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.